0: and their essential love
1: of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for October 20th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome, Katherine Smith.
2: Greetings from Atlanta.
3: And welcome, Tim Shifflin. Good evening, sir.
2: All right, exciting show
1: tonight. A lot of political topics. But before we get into the almost full political, we have a sports entertainment foreign policy, if you will, topic that's been all in the news from the news channels to the sports channels. And we're going to bring in kind of our politics expert, former sports editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Mike Tierney. Welcome back, Mike.
0: Glad to be back, guys. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, um, Mike, uh, we know just a few weeks ago – well, we actually know for well more than a few weeks ago there were protests going on in the streets of Hong Kong. And then a few weeks ago, uh, Rockets GM Daryl Morey tweeted, uh, retweeted his support of the protesters in Hong Kong, Hong Kong and that just kind of unleashed a, a flurry of new stories. Kind of give us the synopsis, bird, bird's-eye view of this thing.
0: Well um, – the the, uh, the timing could not have been worse, uh, David. Uh, the NBA was getting ready to go over uh, for some exhibition games, and they had all sorts of events scheduled around those. Um, m- many of them uh, charitable type uh, events, and so um, because of the, that, in, in, uh, uh, you know the, the timing was such that it kind reacted. Uh, pretty strongly, as they want to do when anyone uh, from our country uh, or any place uh, criticizes them or, or does something that they perceive as criticism. And so all, all hell broke loose. Uh, many of those events were canceled. Uh, the games did go on, uh, but um, Commissioner Adam Silver says. Uh, Uh, The uproar cost the league a lot of money. He didn't specify, but but I'm sure there's a lot of zeros on that figure. And so uh, things have calmed down a little bit. The last few days, uh, Silver has said that um, uh, some uh, Chinese authorities asked him to fire Maury, not that he could. Uh, Someone from China denied that that request was made. So it's dying down a little bit, and then LeBron James sort of fueled it. Um, not surprisingly, he is well-followed on, on Twitter, and uh, he um, expressed a probably a poorly worded thought that appeared to be critical of Maury. He says it was not, but that uh, sort of uh, poured some gas back onto the fire it, as, it, as it was uh, going out, and so that kept things going for a while.
1: Yes, and for folks that may not be aware, over in China, if I'm not mistaken, the most popular team is the Houston Rockets, if not maybe the second after the uh, Warriors, uh, because of Yao Ming, who's now in charge of Chinese basketball, has an incredibly close relationship with the Houston Rockets still. Um, if this were another owner, GM, I should say, if this were GM of a uh, much less um, – you know, heralded international franchise like let's say the Orlando Magic or even our Atlanta Hawks, would it have been as big a deal?
0: Probably not quite as much uh, because of, of, of Yao. There is a, a great awareness of the Rockets in China. Um, um, I, I was I happened to be in China 18 years ago and attended some some NBA clinics um, and. And the popularity of the sport even back then blew me away. I can't imagine it's it's uh, increased manyfold since then. Um, so it, it is uh, it is an NBA mad country. Uh, probably basketball is is the most popular sport there. Um, so we, as you point out, David, when you mix in the the Rockets' popularity or awareness into that equation. And that uh, made uh, the impact and uproar even greater.
1: Yes, well, I'm going to pass it to Tim in a second, but I've got a um, another question, kind of comparing and contrast. And I heard it compared and contrast elsewhere uh, to a few years ago with the NFL and Colin Kaepernick. There, there were some players that wanted to express their First Amendment rights and political issues, and a lot of management, not necessarily all, but you know, some management kind of wanted to quell it kind of keep it quiet and in this case you have a member of management exp- expressing political views and you have some players like LeBron James kind of you know let, let's keep it down and, and keep our focus on our money um how does this compare and contrast to what the NFL faced a few years ago as far as kind of working themselves you know back to a, a different PR standpoint
0: well, uh, the biggest difference is uh, Kaepernick involved an issue uh, in our country, um, whereas this did not. Um, and, um, you know, there's probably a much greater awareness among athletes and among everyone of the issues that Kaepernick uh, was addressing with his kneel, kneel down as opposed to uh, this situation where, most of us know that that there are some, some issues between Hong Kong and China, but probably most Americans cannot go into detail about that. So um, I think, um, perhaps to the NBA players' credit, if if you're not really knowledgeable, uh, you know, uh, either uh, keep quiet or 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 do some research and make yourself knowledgeable before you. Voice and opinion. So I I think, to your somewhat to your point, there there might have been an impression that you know the NBA was squelching comment from players. Um, I don't know that that's true. It it is possible that some individual teams may have told their players to chill on this matter. Uh, But but I think it was more a a case of, of and I and I think Steve Kerr sort of explained this. Uh, he, he said he did not sound off on it uh, Because uh, you know He wasn't aware of, of all the issues involved Yes
1: Well I'm going to pass it to Tim and, and if he leaves anything there I might have time for one more question Tim
3: uh, Yes sir uh, Thank you for being with us tonight And I just want to ask right off the bat uh, As we viewed this story Um Does it look to the average American as if the NBA is financially subservient to China?
0: Um, I I don't think so, Tim. I mean, I I think um, uh, certainly the NBA has a great stake uh, in China. Um, The Sports Business Journal reported that the NBA's presence their, that's their word is worth five billion dollars to the league, um, which is a lot of money by any uh, you know definition. However, the NBA is a multi-billion-dollar business, so um, I would not say the NBA is beholden to China, but they have a pretty substantial stake there, and it's 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 been projected only to grow. Um, so, so there is a, certainly a financial component to this matter.
3: Mm. And looking at it from the Chinese side, are the Chinese suspicious that Daryl Morey was speaking on behalf of the entire NBA and not just himself?
0: I think there's a very good chance that the answer is yes, and mm. and it has come it has come from there. The system that they operate under. I mean, generally, mm-hmm. um, for businesses and government, there, um, if, you know, uh, if if for one thing, uh, not the general manager is a the team is a low-level job, but it's it's a few notches below the commissioner. So you, you probably rarely would see in China that comparable position uh, speaking out on something, even as innocently as a tweet. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, if, if, if you're in China uh, and you hear about what Maury did, you, you certainly may assume uh, mistakenly that he is speaking on behalf of the League.
3: Mm. And, and the final question that, that I have for you, Mike, is on one side you have this substantial financial package coming in from China for the league. And on the other side, you have our own domestic politics. We all know what's been going on between our own government and China. And in the middle, you have the NBA. Considering this, does the NBA find itself in an untenable position, or can they walk this back?
0: I... I I don't know if they're going to walk it back. I think they will get through it. Um, um, there, I, I did, Tim, I found a list uh, a, a few weeks ago. Somebody did a story that listed about two dozen large companies, and some of them were or mega companies that have had to walk back some things that they did regarding China. There were a few of them that listed Taiwan or – I'm sorry, Hong Kong on a, on a map that – they kicked off the Chinese, and they rearranged their map. They've 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 changed how they refer to Hong Kong. So, um, to me, credit to the NBA uh, for not standing up to China by any means, but not apologizing for what Maury did. Where a bunch of these other companies have either apologized or changed something specific in their marketing or how they operate. So, from that standpoint. Maybe China is expecting the NBA to do more, but um, as has been pointed out by others, this five billion dollar quote investment that the NBA has in China, China benefits tremendously from that as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think they want to do I don't think they want to do anything that's going to cause the NBA to uh, to pull up stakes and, and get out of there. I mean this. This arrangement benefits uh, both parties, and I think uh, in due time, if they, and if they haven't already, they will figure out a way to, to make it work.
3: Oh, excellent point. I thank you for that. And with that, I'll send it back over to David. David?
0: All right.
1: Yes, well, Mike,
3: we know you uh, you had a, a tight schedule today. Uh, if
1: this thing continues to uh, to stay in the news and linger on throughout the season, if it lasts longer than the trade deadline, this year we may call you back for this Or there may be some other um, Confluence of politics And sports in the
0: future Alright David look forward to Joining you again
1: Alright thank you Mike
3: Thank you sir All right. Goodbye All
1: right. Bye. Mike Tierney just excellent Sports writer uh, so many many Years in Um Atlanta sports, and I guess the archives are still online. when Mike and I used to do a sports show um, about Georgia-slash-Atlanta sports uh, way back when. I think we can cover some other topics. But um, interesting discussion. Now, Catherine, we're going to bring you in now because I believe some of that list that Mike was referring to, you did a lot of research. Maybe you did Mike's research. I don't know.
2: Uh, Tell (laughs) us what you got. Well, I didn't do a lot of research, but they did talk about this. Uh, matter on uh, Meet the Press this morning, and um, they had a, a list of a few companies and their surprisingly large uh, footprint in China. For example, uh, General Motors has 9,000 more workers in China than they do in the United States. Wow. Nike, Nike, this is a big one. Nike has 5,400 employees in the United States and 145,000 in China. And then this was the one that I thought was rather funny, uh, but also telling. Kentucky Fried Chicken has 400 locations in the United States and 6,000 plus locations in China. So, uh, that's, those are the, the the three that sort of struck me. I think they talked about a couple other ones. But I think that this is, you know, I don't think we think so much about companies' uh, sales and footprints in China as much as we think about manufacturing in China and purchasing materials that are made in China. At least I don't. I, I, I don't think about, the, I, I never thought about the fact that there were this many uh, employees by of American companies in China. I just I, I just never really thought about it. So I think that it's interesting the financial uh, the, the economic dependence going back and forth between China and the United States and how a relatively um, innocent tweets can have an impact on you know a, a a lot of people and a lot of money. So uh, I just I, I mean I yeah. think there's a it lot it, a lot to unpack around all this.
1: Yeah, you mentioned KFC. Now, uh, that is a little bit uh, I I kind of know a little bit of that story. Um KFC is just really popular throughout the world. Um, it actually exports better probably in some ways than McDonald's does, even though McDonald's exported first and, and kind of became an international brand. KFC kind of quietly uh, went throughout the world and it just has a complete global footprint, uh, including China, um, which is so ironic. When you think of who Harlan Sanders was back in Corbin, Kentucky, uh, I bet before he sold the first uh, piece of Kentucky Fried Chicken, He's probably a gentleman that did not stray far from Corbin, Kentucky, and now his face is recognizable all over the globe by probably, you know, more than a billion people, um, which is just fascinating to to kind of think uh, how the world changes um, in the course of, I guess, roughly 100 years in his case. Um, Tim, did you have any comments on it? I think you were.
3: Uh, I was, <laughs> those, um Numbers you threw out, Catherine, were just uh, stunning. Um, I, I guess I could see how Nike would have so many employees in China. I mean, that's where, that's where they, they, they make the, uh, probably ninety-nine percent of the Nike products. Um, GM having more employees in China than, than in the United States blew me away uh but 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 what we're really saying here is that uh, it it goes back to what Mike said that these countries actually depend on each other and their right. economies are intertwined uh, uh regardless of what our beloved president has to say and uh uh, that's just that's just some very interesting stuff. It really is. Imagine, yeah. imagine, guys, imagine, guys, uh, what this trade war is doing to to harm all of that. It, it's 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 not just hurting the average person in this country, but there's a lot of big companies uh, with a huge stake in this. Oh well.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Definitely, everybody's interconnected
3: um, Well, let's kind of kind of
1: switch gears back to something A little more raw politics And, you know, we're not going to get to all the news of the week By any means And so let's kind of start where I think we'd have a good time And that would be this Democratic primary Over the course of the past two to three weeks I think I can see a few trends Y'all can agree or disagree with me um, but But I think since Bernie Sanders had the heart issue, and then now he got back on the trail, he seems to be surging. Um, he got the endorsement of three uh, very high-profile members of Congress, um, and he just seems to – I think he's gotten a bump in fundraising. And I, and I don't know if we've seen a polls come out yet, but, but I get the sense there's going to be a poll bump as well. And And additionally, he had some supporters kind of go after Elizabeth Warren Kind of head to head Which that's another dynamic At the same time since the Ukraine scandal um, Even though I think Everybody feels bad for Joe Biden And the Biden family It hadn't resulted seemingly In in a lot of new votes Or his burn rate seems to be pretty bad His cash on hand Has been problematic And he seems to be kind of stalling If you will Um, Catherine um, thoughts on either or both Of those assessments
2: Oh, I think you're you're I think you're right. I think um I think Biden was sort of caught flat footed at the um debate this week. I I don't think he um I don't know if he wasn't prepared or if he didn't know how to respond to some of the questions, but he didn't seem his um usual uh self to me. I thought he was a little he stumbled a little, and Sanders was i thought in rare form at the at the debate you know uh, uh, vigorous and um uh, eloquent and um yeah I, I i was i mean i'm glad to see that i you know I'm not a bernie fan, but um I think he's a great man, and i'm glad to see that he's you know bounced back from this medical um problem and is back on the trail i think he has you know he has a lot of support and you know nate silver was on um the sunday shows today talking about endorsements and um he was sort of saying yeah you know they don't matter much anymore uh because we have these open primaries and open caucuses the um endorsements while they may have an impact on you know, sort of old time Democrats that you know follow those things, a lot of the younger and uh, you know more activist uh, group don't really care about it.
1: Well, I mean, and I guess it's sometimes probably who the endorsement is, how it's given, and then how vigorous they're gonna campaign off the endorsement as well. I mean, we've all seen the list full of endorsers that go on a card somewhere. And that may have negligible effect at times. Tim, um, there seems to be kind of some dynamics people talk about. They like, okay, the, the really progressive wing of the party are they going to support Elizabeth Sanders or Bernie Sand? I'm sorry, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders? And then people say, oh well, there's the folks that want the name they know. Are they going to support Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders? So these candidates kind of cut each other in different ways, seemingly, in what we've heard or what's been speculated. Kind of what's your thoughts on how this race is shaking out?
3: Well, uh, in one area, and that would be polls. We do have some new polls out, and they have not shown any significant movement for Bernie Sanders at all. In the new Harris Interactive poll, he's still running third with 16% of the vote in the uh, brand-new Ipsos poll. He's running third. Oh No, I, he's actually running second with 16%, one point higher than Warren. And in the real clear politics um, average of polls, which is updated daily, or daily. he's running a rather distant third at 15.2. So he's sitting there at 15 or 16% in the polls. He did see a surge in fundraising fundraising is a problem for joe biden his fundraising is flat several candidates even those down in the single digits are raising more money than him fundraising leads to organization if joe biden has a real weakness especially in iowa i think it's going to be in organization where elizabeth warren apparently is tearing the place up and so is um Mayor Buttigieg, and so and so is O'Rourke. Bernie Sanders' people will be out there to vote in Iowa because the polls consistently show that he has the most devoted following of any of the candidates. Regardless of what the percent of the vote is, those people are going to stick with him no matter what. So uh, we have not yet seen a surge towards Sanders in the polls, and actually I, I don't know that we will because I really believe that with the progressives that Elizabeth Warren has frankly stolen his thunder. Um, she had a pretty rough night the other night. She was, she, she was attacked a lot, but she made her way through it. There were no terrible um, things to happen to to her or, or anything else um so um i i do think joe biden's numbers have really have really flattened though i i, I think he's uh, about as high up as he's gonna get and uh he does look a little shaky in these debates the questions keep coming up about age and and then is he ready to take on Donald Trump and and that sort of things, so um, we it it you know early February we we'll see. But right now, if, if if there was any momentum among the top three, I'm still gonna say it's Elizabeth Warren's. And uh, I'm still waiting on somebody to move out of that next group down there. I just don't quite see it happening yet uh but I'm still waiting, so I guess that's basically where we're at. I
2: think that yeah that and I think oh. Oh. Go, ahead.
1: go ahead oh i uh, i'm sorry i I think we just both had thoughts, but um. Uh, one thing that I did read an article by Tim Alberta. He sat down and watched the debate with Michael Bennett of Colorado, and, and you know I don't find him super dynamic. We've had our text strands about him, but one thing I kind of think is like you know okay, there's the controversy with Hunter Biden, there's Joe Biden's age, um, there is uh, the fact that maybe Joe Biden's getting older and forgetting things, and just just different you know knocks on Joe Biden. But the people that are going to replace Joe Biden is somebody like Michael Bennett, like Tim Ryan, like uh Steve Bullock, and none of them are on the stage at these debates. So how in the world can you replace the you know become the moderate standard bearer, the safe you know beat Donald Trump? that's all we're looking at safe candidate if no one gets to see you on the debate, so therefore it's going to be hard to replace Joe Biden. With someone else Unless it becomes a different entity and, and it could be that But but I do think that's working in Joe Biden's favor uh, Another thing And we kind of speculated this by text this past week um, there's, There are different kind of voters And there are a lot of voters That don't put up yard signs That don't put bumper stickers on their car They don't give money to candidates All they do is they show up And then they vote on election day And there's really a lot more of those than there are super excited, galvanized, enthusiastic supporters, and Joe Biden probably has more of those kind of folks. And I've heard through polling that a lot of the undecided voters fit more of that profile, so it's kind of like he doesn't have to have maybe as many donors because he's got all these undecided voters that may end up just kind of coming to him unless – one of the other candidates does catch fire with those voters. What do you think, Catherine?
2: Well, I was going to say, I think the next most interesting uh, dynamic is going to be when whomever drops out next. And, you know, who knows? It could be, could be Tulsi. It could be uh, Castro, you know, who knows who it is where those votes are going to where those. Uh, that that the support of those candidates is going to go? Is it going to like just sort of evenly spread out among the remaining candidates? Is it going to be, you know, go to Biden? Is it going to go to Sanders? You know, what, what, how is that going to, how is that going to, what impact is that going to have on the, you know, coming polls? And I think it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I do think that, um, I think that Judge may have that a little bit, a piece of that moderate, uh, um, he may be more closer to Joe Biden than we think. And people, if if something happens to Biden, I can see some people move, moving to Judge uh, in his stead.
1: Yeah, I think ideologically he may be closer to Joe Biden. Maybe even be in some ways could even be to the right of Joe Biden. But as far as that safe candidate, because you know I think there's a lot of folks who are like, oh yeah, I, I just don't care who. I just don't want it to be Donald Trump in 2020. I want to beat Donald Trump with anybody. So I want to be super safe. Uh, that's the the. I think a lot of those yeah, voters I, are still waiting for somebody else that that hadn't materialized.
3: But. Um. there's always a but, and here it is. In the modern era, regardless of party, if a candidate has won both Iowa and New Hampshire, they've gone on to win the nomination. If Elizabeth Warren were to win those first two, I, I don't see how she could lose the nomination. Now, I mean, that, and, and the polls are starting to go in that direction. And this organization thing in Iowa, y'all know how much that means. Getting your people uh, yeah. out to those caucuses means everything. And if you've got people in every precinct, in every county, working those areas like, you know, she probably will... Um, it's going to be hard to beat, and that's, that's where I think one of those candidates in that lower pack is going to emerge a little bit because they've also been putting a lot of boot time in on the ground there and getting their organizations going. Uh, that's going to mean everything, and it's going to change the whole dynamic. Um, I, I'm just not sure that Biden's campaign... Has that sort of organization Out there Right now
1: Well what do y'all think Happens in this scenario Elizabeth Warren wins Iowa Bernie Sanders The the vote's kind of divided And he wins New Hampshire Joe Biden wins South Carolina um, After the first three states it, It's 1-1-1 What happens out of that Catherine
2: <laughs> Oh god I don't know <laughs>
3: Some backroom dealings, I'm guessing. Yeah, don't you think, guys, we'd be looking at a kind of a slog through the thing like we had in 2008 where it went on and on and on and on and on?
1: Well, it, it would be even trickier because it could be three candidates collecting yeah. decent numbers of delegates. I'm not saying that all three would continue to just win one each. Eventually someone would kind of become third. But um, you'd also have another factor. Senator Obama and Senator Clinton at the time were gonna I, I don't play by the rules is not a right word, but accept defeat. You know, they were gonna fight, they're gonna play to the final whistle, but once everything was said and done, they were gonna accept the outcome. Bernie Sanders, if it's that close and he's in the game, do we think he does the same thing as uh even, you know, Senator Warren or Vice President Biden would?
3: Taking a guess, I'm gonna say that that Bernie Sanders would want a spot on the ticket.
1: Yeah. That's Yeah, and and Biden Sanders for the future of America.
2: <laughs> because oh I think God. everybody
1: knows, if any of the three of them are the vice are are the presidential nominee, the vice president has to be like 50 or under. I mean, the vice president has to just be somebody um, that, that probably is not a you know card-carrying member of the AARP. Um, it, it just, got, and I think they all know it. I think that's why Elizabeth Warren's talking to Andrew Gilliam, and that's why you know the rumors were that Joe Biden courted Stacey Abrams, and and, and I, I don't know, I, I don't really understand how Bernie Sanders thinks as much. Um, somebody's going to write that book one day, and it is going to be fascinating to read. Um, you know, hopefully somebody's embedded with that. Yeah, hopefully somebody was embedded with the last campaign, is embedded with this campaign, and that thing's a political bestseller. Um, but it's going to be fascinating to watch um, Kind of any thoughts on that lower tier We mentioned Buttigieg But Harris, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, um, Booker Anybody show any signs of life uh, In the past week or so, Tim?
3: Well, i tell you what uh, Just in the debate itself uh, I, thought, I thought Mayor Buttigieg won the debate if I had to pick a winner in that debate, I I, I would say he won the debate. Uh, uh, he uh, he really come out swinging. Uh, he asserted himself. Uh, he did very well. Uh, I'm still not seeing the movement in the polls. So I'm looking at these polls here, these two new polls. Well, Harris is. Fourth in one of them, and he's barely fourth in the other, and nobody, nobody out of that group's over five percent in the poll. So I, I, I haven't seen it in the polls yet. Now that that doesn't, you know, mean everything, but it, but at this particular date, it means something.
1: Yes, and, and Catherine, another candidate that has actually done really well fundraising. I'm mm-hmm. um, actually complained that MSNBC left him off, or NBC News left him off of another graphic. Uh, Andrew Yang uh, keeps hanging in there, getting you know a lot of attention. Um, does he, as the thing you know goes on and on, because he's kind of got a different angle to the whole thing, does he um, kind of rise up at some point and maybe you know get fourth or fifth in this?
2: He's got a lot of support. Um, I guess, you know, a lot of millennials like him and um I I I'm, I like a lot of the things that he talks about. I think it's important that what he's talking about is talked about. But I just don't feel like he has the you know, overall uh know skills and knowledge to be the president i mean that's my feeling i thought booker did pretty well at in the debate um he's the, he you know he's like the um he's like the middle child you know the peacemaker <laughs> he always <laughs> wants everyone to get along and and i kind of admire that you know that he doesn't give that up he still goes after people but he's very um you know he wants He'd like to remind us that we all have a lot more in common than we differ and i think that i, I appreciate that um i thought Klobuchar looked uh um, not scared but um sort of like okay this is my you know i i need to i need to make a i need to make a mark tonight and i think she tried really hard but i think she just looked a little bit desperate Mm-hmm. Beto, I yeah. think Beto's well, going to drop
3: out You know, David
1: Yeah there are gonna, not, Okay, go ahead, Tim
3: I, I was just going to say There are 19 candidates in this race According to the newest polling 10 of them are registering at 1% or less These people are getting 1% There's a group getting 2, 3, 4, 5 we really, really, really need to thin the herd before we can even get close to figuring out who might be the consensus favorite to win the nomination. With so many candidates in the race, the, the leading candidate right now, according to Real Clear Politics, is polling at 29.2%. Who knows what the voters will do when there are only two or three candidates in the race? We need to thin this herd out. These
2: exactly. people that are
3: these people that are not even polling at two percent. There's actually four of them that are polling at zero well, percent. What are they still doing in the race? What are they waiting on? Uh, uh, I, I, I just I just don't see why so many are hanging on for so long when they can't even. Qualify themselves to get on the debate stage?
1: Well, I I will say I'll play devil's advocate here. I think in the past, the field thins once you have actual votes count, not polls and not debates, and this, you know, formula of, you know, how many buttons and tote bags you can sell to call them donors (laughs) and blah, blah, blah.
2: Um,
1: It's, you know, so if some of these folks, Want to stay in through, say, the first primary in New Hampshire? Now, if you, you know, can fit all your supporters inside a phone booth, first you got to find one. Um, then, and, and you try to stay in the race. Well, then you're very quixotic. But if you know, Joe C. Stack, apparently he's walking across, um, you know, New Hampshire. If he's getting in great shape and and you know, meeting, you know, five guys at the pancake house every day, and then he stays in the race, and then he gets. You know, 0.001% of the vote, and then he drops out. I don't know that there's any harm or any foul to American democracy. Um, and so I really, I'm not really necessarily wanting everybody to get out until, um, you know, some votes have been cast. Uh, that means right. that most of the country won't even get a chance to vote on these characters. But I do think Iowa and uh, New Hampshire are going to serve as the real field winnowers at some point. You
3: better hope so, because there's a downside to this. Uh, we saw this very thing played out in the other party three years ago with all those people splitting all that vote and what emerged, President Trump. I yeah, does that mean didn't, we're going to end up case, with- Yeah. Well, end in this Tulsi case, Gabbard. Catherine, in this case, Catherine, don't you think what we might end up with is a fragmented opposition to Trump instead of a unified opposition to Trump? If so many candidates stay in the race so long.
2: Yeah, or we end up with like Tulsi Gabbard or uh, mm. Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, I, mean, I like we... Amy Klobuchar. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but someone who's not very Who's just sort of a, um, you know, not very charismatic and just, like, acceptable by everyone, everyone's second or third choice. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I, one of those two would have to catch fire. I don't think there's any real uh, fear of Tulsi Gabbard catching fire. Now, she caught fire this week on Fox News. They've used that as a red herring all week. Uh, to not mm-hmm. have to cover Donald Trump and the real scandals that they're talking about, Tulsi Gabbard and Hillary Clinton's comments on her, which is, you know, you know if she if she catches fire, she might be what eleventh place. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a total distraction, um, is what it is. Um, you know, and and that's I, I kind of wonder what's going to happen with her out of Hawaii when you know she comes up for election next year. Now they may love her. I mean, and she may do a great job on constituent services and understand um, you know, Hawaiian politics, but um, I do kind of wonder given the nature of folks getting primaried, uh, sometimes I see folks getting primaried and I'm like, why do they have to get primaried? She seems like she'd be opening herself up to a lot more of that than a lot of those other candidates have. Um, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about two other races, and really three, to be fair, although the third one hadn't gotten the attention, and that's the three governor's races. Um, one was a Democratic incumbent that was fairly popular because he had to make some tough decisions, and, and people have liked what he's doing in Louisiana and John Bell Edwards. One was a very unpopular Republican governor in uh, Matt Bevan. Uh, running against the, uh, I guess, Attorney General and former Governor's son, who was popular, uh, Governor Beshears, uh in Kentucky. And then finally, uh, a very longtime popular Attorney General, Jim Hood, running for an open seat. And I know Phil Bryant's retiring. I want to say Tate Reeves, the sitting Secretary of State, is the Republican nominee. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, and those races look like – You know, if everything broke, Democrats could have a clean sweep. Now there are some Republicans talking about a clean sweep the other way. Uh, Tim, if that were to happen, and I really don't know. Louisiana seems like a little bit tougher sale. But if that were to happen, what would the Republicans be saying out of that?
3: Well, they would would obviously be – the, the 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 biggest talk would be coming from none other than the White House, where he would basically be taking all the credit for it. And in this particular case, he could probably take some credit for it. You take Kentucky, um, Bevin, back in August, as late as August, now was nine points down, and and. Uh, you, you sent us the new poll this week from Mason Dixon. Showed a forty-six forty-six tie. Uh, Bevin seems to have the momentum. He's he he has successfully nationalized the race. He's tied himself wholly to Donald Trump, who is extremely popular in Kentucky, and this race has now become about. Donald Trump and not about Bevin and his failures Um, his approval rating has climbed 7% up to 45% he's now winning 22% of Democratic voters all this since he changed his campaign's tenor a couple of months ago and started running all in for Donald Trump um that is also playing itself out, um, although albeit less dramatically, down in Louisiana, as uh, the businessman Risponi um, has also declared himself uh, a Trump man and. He and Governor Bell Edwards, in a brand-new poll, We Ask America, 47 percent apiece. Uh, the governor got 46.4 percent in the jungle primary and doesn't seem to be improving on that any. Uh, he may lose, and with it, if he does, the Democrats will lose the only Democratic governor in the South. This despite the fact that he is very popular, you see, with like a 50 percent approval rate and 32 percent disapproval. We're sitting here talking about the possibility that he could lose once again because Donald Trump is very, very popular in this state. Uh, He's popular in all three of these states And that's what we're having to overcome And uh, yeah, we could get swept We could
1: Yeah, Catherine, uh, let's say this were to happen Um, You know, Democrats lose all three of these major races Going into the 2020 election Uh, Tom Perez calls you up Says, you know, wh- how worried should I be, and what should I do? What would be your advice to him?
2: Uh, start organizing in the South, spend some money in the South, get the vote out.
1: But I mean, I mean, are they going to spend? I mean, that's one thing, and maybe y'all know, is the DNC, the Democratic Governors Association, are groups going to get out and and, and work? And if they work, and they say, "Hey, we put thousands, tens of thousands of voters in New Orleans, in Louisville, in Jackson, Mississippi, we got them out, and they didn't like the brand," what do you do then?
2: Hmm. Well, <laughs> I don't know what you do then.
3: That's but our quandary,
2: isn't if, it? If there's a sweep, yeah, it does not look good for us. Like. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a drag on the on the, you know it's just a a bad visual. You yeah. Know, going into Well, and and I'll tell you this. I think.
1: I, I think I think you know Republicans like to run government like a business, and I don't think you should run government like a business because you're not looking for a profit; you're looking to help people. But I do think at times you have to run campaigns like a business, and if people don't like your product. You have to do product testing, and you have to modify your product because if people don't want to buy your product and you don't get elected, you're never going to have any control over government. And I just think there's so many places around the country because of the layout of everything that you know, we can say, oh, that state did not have any people. It did not have any cities. It did not have any this, that, which is not even the case here because New Orleans is a big city. Louisville's a big city. Um, But if we don't do something to where we can play in these kind of places, these things are going to work themselves out all across the country. Because here's the thing. In Texas and Georgia and North Carolina, those are states you're trying to flip. There's a lot of places in those three states that look a lot like Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, and um, Kentucky. And so if you don't figure those things out, you're not going to have a good chance to flip any of those three states. Um, so so I think it's it's something that's going to have to be looked at and, and really well, analyzed with focus groups and figured out what's, you know, what is the missing element here. And it's we've been talking about it for years now.
3: Well, yeah, and we're talking about it in states like Kentucky, for instance, where the voters face a choice. A very unpopular governor, and he still is an unpopular governor. As opposed by a Democratic Party that they just can't bring themselves to vote for. And given the choice, what do they do? Uh, that that's the choice that they feel like they're they're making there in a state like Kentucky. I, I don't think you'll see that much of that in North Carolina. I really believe North Carolina is starting to go the other way. But what does happen as a result here? We look at next year, and the map will not want to move that much. If, if we can't beat somebody like Matt Bevin in Kentucky, we can forget even competing there in the general election next year for president, if we can't keep a very popular governor in Louisiana in office, then there is no way that we are going to compete in that state next year in the presidential election. And I haven't even mentioned Mississippi, where we're running the most popular Democrat of probably the last generation, and he may lose as well just because he has a D behind his name. Um, I think those Republicans are smart in those states to nationalize the races. Uh, Bevin doesn't want to talk about local problems in Kentucky and those issues. He wants to talk about Donald Trump, and this helped him. And, that's, and every Republican in this country is watching that race, guys. And if Bevin pulls that off, then they all have their blueprint as to what they're going to do next year, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and let's and let's talk about another race that has to be watched. Then, if those three races all go uh, Republican, does Doug Jones then have any hope?
3: No. Nope. <laughs> That's my answer. Catherine.
2: I don't think so. Yeah. I, I hate to
1: say it, yeah. but Yeah. I mean at this point even if they were to renominate Roy Moore, he might not have any hope. And there's oh, a the Senate seat. Um yeah, I mean that's what well no, I mean but Matt Bevin, if you look at what Matt Bevin's done, I I mean, politically he should be about as toxic as Roy Moore. Um and, you know, you go well, up through particularly the western part of Kentucky the western part of Kentucky, you know, has you know educated people that, that don't live in the hills and everything else. I mean, <laughs> Louisville's a nice place. Lexington's a nice place. Um,
3: you know, it's just, it
1: just it just seems unfathomable that we can't you know defeat a, a guy like something. Matt Bevin.
3: Let me ask you both something. A year ago this time, we were talking about how our voters were so angry they were ready to bite through 20 penny nails and were going to crawl over a field of broken glass to vote. And that's exactly what happened. That's why we won the House back and won races all over the country, all in governorships and things. It does not seem to me that our voters have quite that edge right now, or am I mistaken?
2: Well, I think I, th- I think we're just Go ahead, farther out from the le- election.
3: Well, you think yeah, our voters are paying attention? I think hey, that, they've vote.
1: lost a little edge, but I think the Republicans have gained some edge. I think they've kind of gotten angry at the same time, and they're going to turn out. Um and so it's going to it's going to be a lot closer than we thought um and that's that's one thing I think people are, are going to realize when they you know go to these elections for president and other primaries they're going to have to realize that this is not going to be some kind of cakewalk you're going to have to uh, you know defeat republicans and put you know really competent candidates out there that can appeal to the masses and it's something to think about um mm-hmm. Well, talking about appealing to the masses, we got time for one more topic, and somebody that's really not been appealing to the masses, he, even though we've been talking about how he may be popular in a few places in Kentucky and Mississippi and all, uh, Donald Trump, and um, he really had a misstep this past week and walked it back, although I, I contend that I think he could have in his little world gotten away with it because he seems to get away with anything he wants, and he was going to host the g G7 summit with seven top economic nations across the world um, to come to the Doral Trump Golf Club and and have the G7 summit. Uh, I mean obviously he would have made money off of it. He said he was going to only do it at cost. It would be interesting to see what cost was. I guess we'd have to see his tax returns to see what he claimed there. Um, But he, he did relent on this. Uh, Catherine, are you surprised he relented and, and backed off of hosting the G7 Summit at the Doral Trump Golf Club in Florida? I was
2: surprised, but I, I I, suspect, and I don't know, I don't have any information that, you know, rings true to this, but I suspect it might have been um, security concerns that someone got to him and said, hey, we cannot secure that golf, that golf, whatever it's called, club or whatever. Because it was – it was a. I mean, all the security people were like, we can't secure it. There's so many entrances. It's like in the middle of a neighborhood. There's all kinds of other commercial property. So I wonder if uh, that was what got to him. But I, don't, I was surprised. I was shocked, actually.
1: You, you may be right on there. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on uh, him relenting.
2: Well, I think
3: one thing that might have happened here was he not only got a lot of blowback from from the the usual suspects, but he got a little blowback about this from some Republicans who were already angry about him for that Syria mess that 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 he created. Um, and and I think far more likely here, he just simply got called on his shall we say, brazen attempt to make money, and he just uh, backed down. Uh, of course, he, he had to go on and say it was all the fault of the hostile media and their Democrat partners, whatever that's supposed to mean.
2: Yeah, uh, Yeah, what did that mean?
3: But but what I would ask him there is, well, Mr. President, what about the Republicans that also complained about this? Were they in on the conspiracy with us? Um, so, So, you know, same old Trump, different day, something crazy this day, something crazier tomorrow.
1: Yeah, well, and one other thing. This is the G7 Summit. It's not the America, you know, runs it, and there's six other people or six other countries that come to it. You know, they rotate this thing, uh, I guess, throughout the seven nations, and um, I don't know how it all works as far as, like, when it's your turn to host. Do you get to pick the city in your nation? Do you pick the locale? Or if, you know, Justin Trudeau said, yeah, we're going to go to – go ahead.
2: There was a, um, some kind of, um, like, committee that evaluated uh, options.
1: Meaning America or meaning they, you know, picked
2: the, was, this golf course I, I in Florida? I don't know Florida. exactly, but it was my impression that it was an um, a advanced team of the G7. That he's evaluated okay. Cause, various Because
1: my thinking was Some of the leaders of these six nations You know we've seen them They roll their eyes at him on camera Any um, stuff Could they have not said look We're not coming to meet at your golf course Because when their Delegations go um, I don't know then if America Is the host is responsible for it all Or you know just Japan Have to buy so many hotel rooms And Canada and Britain and all have to buy so many hotel rooms. And, and would those governments have to say, look, we're not, you know, lining your pockets? And could that have shut the whole thing down? And they may have done it privately instead of publicly, but all, you know, let's say three of the uh, seven call up and say, no. It, would that have been what put a stop to it? What do you think?
3: Very well could have been. Yeah. But the thing is, last like, this- time it was done, it was done at Camp David. That's the perfect setup. It's out of the way. It's totally secure. They got all the facilities that they need. They have no distractions. There'll be no problems. They can have their conference. Why would he immediately not say, let's go there instead of saying, hey, I've got an idea. Let's use my place. And and I'm picking a place that's been having financial difficulties. What's the problem? Oh, jeez. Well, I
2: guess in, uh, Bush yeah. had it, Bush, um, Bush Jr., W, had it at Sea Island, which is also able to be secured. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. Yeah, because it's an they island. They need to be able to secure it so that, I mean, obviously, and they need a lot of space. You know, they need a lot of yeah. hotel rooms and conferences and all that. Mm-hmm. I heard some number that yeah, well, there's 145,000 meals.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, I wow. wish that would be a lot of uh, meals for the Trump uh, to make money off of. Well, guys, uh, thanks again for Mike Tierney coming on and been a great show. Until next week. Yeah, good, the to- oh. good night. Good
3: night, guys. y'all.
0: We are the heirs of that first revolution. with a strong and united. America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world. America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs.